Out of all the studies, this one is my personal favorite for a couple of reasons. Number one, Sardis was the sleeping church and Jesus is telling her to wake up. This seems like this is a constant battle in my own life and I get a little bit more transparent in this session than perhaps other sessions. But at the same time, I find comfort in knowing that there is a zeal that we should each possess for gospel proclamation and demonstration with our lips and our lives. So I pray in this session that your ears will be open, your heart will be in tune to the Spirit of God and that your church will not be called the sleeping church. Jesus speaks to the church in Sardis by telling her she is the sleeping church. Now he opens up his letter by identifying himself as the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Basically, the number seven in the book of Revelation is symbolic to perfect wholeness or completion. So basically we can interpret this to mean that Jesus is saying that he alone, who is perfectly God, who is fully God, is the one who is fully Lord over the affairs of his church. Now we know this because of the reality that we hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now it's that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord over his church. He is the promised Messiah. He is our only qualified savior for all of humanity that is sinful human beings. And when we embrace the reality of the gospel, we know by admitting Jesus Christ is the only qualified savior who can save us out of the wrath of God that is due for us rightfully because we're sinful, we are made to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus is the one who is building his church. We are called to be the church. Now the reality of Jesus' lordship was secured through his resurrection. That's why Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail. Basically, think of it this way. Sin has tainted and enslaved the entire human race. And Satan has been holding the entire human race since the fall of our first father Adam in the garden hostage. And the weapon in which he's using to hold us hostage is actually death. So Jesus' resurrection from the grave allowed him to disarm Satan, break the weapon of death. And now those who embrace Christ as Lord and Savior have life eternal because they know Jesus. Now they have been made to be the church. So Jesus is building his church with what Peter calls living stones, and that's you and I, the believers in Jesus Christ. So now thinking through the context of Jesus being fully Lord, fully God, the reality of this now, he says to the church in Sardis, I know your works, I know them exhaustively. And you have the reputation that you're alive, that you're active and you're vibrant, but guess what? I am telling you, you're dead. He tells them they are dead. They have the reputation that they've been doing a lot of great things, but yet Jesus is saying, all of your works are not even complete in the sight of my God. So basically what he's saying is you guys love to start a whole lot of projects. You like to start doing things, but you don't finish anything. And he's rebuking them. It reminds me of a time one summer years ago when I was living with my parents, my mom was about to go to work and she woke me up and she said, Damon, this morning, I need you to get up. I want you to wash the dishes. I want you to clean the mirrors and I want you to clean your room. And I said, okay, mama, don't worry about it. I got it. She said, no, listen to me. If you don't wash the dishes, I'm not going to be able to make supper when I get home from work. In addition to this, if you don't clean the mirrors and you don't clean your room, you're not going to go outside. You're going to lose your privilege to go out and play basketball today. And I said, okay, mama, I promise you I will do it. Well, my mama left for work and guess what? I went right back to bed. Woke up, 
almost around noontime, and I knew my mom got off at 4.30, so I said, you know what, let me do what I need to do, and I went and had a bowl of cereal, and I started playing video games. And then around three o'clock, I said, okay, now it's time for me to pause the video games. And I went and I started getting the dish water ready. So I put the soap in it, hot water, and I let the dishes soak, AKA I'd come back to them later when I wanted to do them. Then I got some newspaper, because my mama said, don't use the paper towel, use the newspapers to wipe the mirrors because they don't leave streaks. So I got the Windex and we had a whole wall full of mirrors. I don't know why, but my mom and dad wanted a whole room with a wall full of mirrors. So there was about 20 mirrors on this wall and I began to clean about three of them and I said let me stop and let me go clean my room because that's the one that's gonna take the longest so being the teenage boy I was I walked in my room I slid as much stuff under the bed as I could and I put my bed sheet over the bottom part of my bed so it would hide the mess under the bed and everything that wouldn't fit under the bed I stuffed it in the closet my room was clean I went back to the mirrors and said I'll come back to you went to the dishes and I said the water's still too hot so I went sat down played video games I got tired I took a nap and then I woke up when my mom came in the front door. She walked in the door almost two hours later and she asked me if I did everything that I told her that I committed myself to do. And I said, wait, hold on mom. So she went into the kitchen and she saw cold water with dirty dishes. In addition to that, she walked out of the kitchen. She went into the room with the mirrors. She saw three of them clean and 17 of them still dirty. She said, I know you cleaned your room. I said, mama, I cleaned my room. Don't worry about it, you're gonna be proud of me. The other two I dropped the ball on, but this one I did a good job. So she looked in my room and said, okay, it has the appearance of it's clean, but let me put it to my test. She lifted up the bed skirt, she saw all the junk, she opened the closet door, everything fell out on the floor. She said, you made it look like you were doing your work, but you didn't finish it. You know what, this is exactly what Jesus is telling Sardis. You have the appearance that you're doing what you committed to say that you would do, that I've commanded you to do. Share the gospel, make disciples. You've started all these great works, but guess what? You never finished anything. So Jesus tells the sleeping church in Sardis, wake up, wake up, get out of your slumber. Stop hitting the snooze button, get out of bed. And then he says, get to work. Well, what are they supposed to do? What is the work that Jesus Christ has called us to do? Share the gospel, make disciples. He's telling them, live on mission. They're sleeping in bed. And he's saying, get out of bed, share the gospel, make disciples, live on mission for my glory. Now, so often I think about my own life and I say, what are the seasons that I go through in life when I don't pursue God? How is it that I can find myself asleep in the light? Like the song that an artist by the name of Keith Green once put out years ago, that we're sleeping in the light. And it reminds me even of the reality that I lose my appetite for the things of God when I feast on the garbage of the world. You know, I love my wife's cooking. I, to me, Alicia makes the best lasagna in the world. Now, she wakes up early in the morning because she makes her own sauce from scratch. She makes her own meat from, literally from scratch, if you will. I mean, she buys it, but then she cooks it and seasons it and everything. But you know, anybody that wakes up early in the morning before the sun rises to do their prep work, you know they can throw down in the kitchen. That's my wife, Alicia. And I remember one day as I was going to work, she stopped me and said, hey babe, tonight we're having lasagna for dinner. And I said, you know what? I think I'm gonna fast all day. So when I come home, I'm gonna dive into that lasagna. Now when she makes lasagna, she layers it with noodles that are fresh 
out of the boiler. She then puts the meat and she covers it with this fresh sauce that she makes from scratch. Then she puts five different cheeses on top of that and she just continues the layer until it's thick like a birthday cake. She bakes it, when it comes out the oven, she lets it sit, then she slices it. She takes crisp romaine lettuce, she puts all the salad fixings out there, she then takes the bread out of the oven, cracks it, you see the steam rise like the prayers of the saints rising to the nostrils of God. Like that's what it looks like in our house when she makes lasagna. Literally, it's great days and great evenings when we know mama's cooking lasagna. So all that was told to me before I went to work. That was around 7.30 in the morning. I get to work, it's 11.30. Some of my friends knock on my office door. They say, hey, we're going out for cheeseburgers. Now anybody who knows me knows, Superman had kryptonite, DA, his kryptonite is cheeseburgers. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna go with y'all, but I'm just gonna fellowship. I'm not gonna eat anything. So I'm standing in line with my friends, and they're ordering their food. And I said, you know what? Water's gonna go right through me. It's not gonna help with my hunger pains right now. Let me get some sweet tea. That way it's got a little sugar in it. Give me some substance in my stomach and I'll be able to hold out for dinner. Well, as soon as I got up to order my sweet tea, the waitress said, what would you take? And I said, I'll take a double cheeseburger with everything, a large fry and a double thick vanilla shake. And she didn't know what I was wrestling through internally. So I prayed before I ate. I ate my lunch, went back to work. I fought my sleep because I was tired and I drove home that night and guess what? The smell of lasagna hit me as soon as I turned the corner and I knew I had no appetite. I was scared to go into my house because my wife had spent all day preparing this meal and I had no appetite. I walked in, everything was ready. She even had candles on the table tonight. My kids were sitting there, properly behaved, ready to eat. They're like, Daddy, come sit down, bless the food, and let's enjoy this dinner. And I'm sitting there saying the prayer, sweat beads forming on the top of my forehead because I'm not hungry. And I'm literally interceding like, Jesus, give me an appetite right now so I can eat my food. And all of a sudden I say, Amen. I'm moving the plate around, giving the appearance that I'm eating and I'm not. And my daughter calls me out and she says, Dad, why aren't you eating the food? And I said, go, go to your room. Why are you back talking to me? I literally did that. My wife was like, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting this way? Why aren't you eating? And I said, well, here's the deal. Some of my friends invited me to lunch. All I remember was cheeseburgers and I blacked out after that. She didn't laugh, my kids did, and they got sent to their room. My wife put her fork and her knife down. She wiped her mouth and she walked away and she cried. Yeah, I'm the world's biggest jerk. Why? Because she told me. She spent all day preparing this meal that she knew that I loved and that I would appreciate and value, but I cheapened the experience because I came home with no appetite because I feasted on cheeseburgers. You know what? This is what it looks like to be asleep in the light. We have no appetite for the gospel. We have no appetite to have a zeal for evangelism. Why? Because we're feasting on the garbage of the entertainment of the world. We're pursuing materialism. We're pursuing comfort and personal affluence and we're seeking out all these things and we don't have time to share the gospel and make disciples. Perhaps it's to us that Jesus is saying, wake up, remember what you first received, the gospel. Starve yourself from the things of the world to develop an appetite for the things of God and then we must keep the gospel protected. Jesus tells the church in Sardis, keep it and guard it. Now that reminds me of even our cell phones. You know, we go through great rigors to protect our cell phones from being hacked. We have retina scans, we have thumbprint scans, we put in passwords. Also, nobody can get into our phone unannounced. You know what, I think sometimes we guard our phones more than we guard the gospel. And this may be what Jesus is telling our local churches, is to keep the gospel, preserve its purity, and proclaim it for the glory of God. 
You know, Jesus then tells the church in Sardis, not all of you are asleep. In fact, there are a few of you who are faithful. You have not soiled your white garments. You are living pure and righteous. And I believe Jesus wanted to affirm those saints that had the zeal for evangelism and discipleship so that the saints who were asleep can look to the saints in their own local church to say, this is what we should be doing. But then Jesus comforts them. He says, if you conquer sleep, guess what? I'll never blot your name out of the book of life and I'll confess you before my father. Now let me tell you what that means. In ancient times, when warriors from a city would go out to battle, and they went to the front line, dressed in their military garb, and they won victory, they would come back to the city as victors. And the city would throw a celebration for them, and they would go to their homes, they would change out of their military garb, and they would put on a white toga. And they would collect themselves together in the middle of the city, and they would have a parade and a procession all the way to the king's banquet hall in which the general of the army, the commander, would be standing next to the king. And one by one, the entrance of the soldiers would come in and the general of the army would pronounce the name of that soldier to the king and tell them, this is what this soldier did on the battlefield. This is how they fought victory and secured it for your kingdom, O king. Welcome them in to your banquet in your presence in this reception. This illustration points to our future reality, saints. If we conquer sleep, we will walk into the presence of our God, Jesus, our commanding officer. As we walk into glory, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, we'll pronounce our name to our King, God the Father. And he will say, this is your child, who on the front line of the mission denounced pornography, denounced adultery. They walked in repentance. They mobilized their life to live on mission for your glory by sharing the gospel and making disciples. It was their goal in their life on the mission field to push back lostness. And the king will welcome us into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will be with him throughout all of eternity. As you go into your groups, have this question in the forefront of your mind. Am I part of this sleeping church? Am I not sharing the gospel? Am I feasting on the things of the world to the point that I've lost an appetite for prayer, fasting, and other spiritual disciplines? And if so, perhaps you can listen to the advice of Christ. Wake up. Remember the gospel that you received. Guard it and mobilize with it. And then prayerfully, your confession will lead others to confess, yes, I've been asleep as well, so that your local church will not be called the sleeping church, but rather, they are active and alive, filled with zeal and passion to proclaim the excellency of the gospel and see disciples made in your community.